Hey, it's Pat Gray for Stu on the Glenn Beck Program. Today, our first guest, uh, podcast-wise, Damani Felder, uh, joins Glenn to talk about his encounter with the BLM protesters while out for dinner. He, like so many other African-Americans who are standing up, wants to shine the light on Black Lives Matter, their organization, and what their true agenda really is. Also, Ben Shapiro stopped by to go over his new book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Fox News has been hit hard with major allegations involving Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Ed Henry. We go over some of the information that's been released from all this. And do we have a possible Brett Kavanaugh situation on our hands? We are the first ever Citizen Brief, brought to you by the Woke Party. And finally, Snopes comes after Glenn for a fact that he presented. Snopes is claiming the fact is only half true because it depends on what your definition of terrorists and terrorism is really we go over all this and a lot more it's a busy day on the podcast today you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program Damani is the founder of the Wright Brothers Conservative Political Activist Group. Uh, he is a podcaster, and he happened to be in a restaurant when Black Lives Matter walked in. And I saw this video from him, what, a week ago or so, and it, it is absolutely phenomenal. Because here's a black guy standing up, basically being called a racist uh, and uh, being told what to care about. He's black. They're white. Figure that out. Damani, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Glenn. I really appreciate being here. You bet. You bet. Uh, so tell me, tell me what you experienced, what you saw, and uh, what it says to you. Sure. So I was out. This was actually a weekend before last. I was out at a dinner. It was actually a dinner being held in my honor with some friends of mine because I'm preparing to move to Houston to start a new role. And uh, what we had was a live band, a live jazz band out there. It was a black entertainer who was performing. There are people of all races and all ages out there at this restaurant in downtown Dallas, Texas. And what was crazy was initially I didn't even hear the chants of the protesters as they were assembling and marching past us. Um, I only saw the signs, so I saw them march past, and I said, okay, they're going to march past. Everybody else at the restaurant, too, they just said, okay, they're, they're doing their thing exercising their First Amendment right, that's fine. We're going to continue to do our thing and enjoy our evening. And um, so then a few minutes later, that same group walked past us again. And what was interesting was even then, no one tried to verbally assault or abuse them. They let them do their thing, and we just continued on as normal with our evening. But then that same group parked themselves about 50 yards away from the restaurant, and really what the goal was was to attract attention. And when they didn't get the attention they wanted, that is when they came up to the restaurant where we all were enjoying ourselves and decided to continue to shout until they were able to provoke someone standing up for themselves. As you saw in the video, there were young black children who were literally feet away from this group of predominantly white BLM rioters or protesters. And these, these people are using the coarsest, harshest language available. And they're, they say they're calling for justice and racial unity when the crazy thing is what we have there already at the restaurant was the epitome of everything <laughs> they claim to desire. It doesn't make any sense. Yes. Yes. So uh, when somebody stood up to defend themselves, 
explain what 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 happened sure so i think what happened was there was one one man and he was there with his children and he was just asking the people he was like can we please just eat our dinner in peace or whatever that's all he asked them and then that was when they took that as some sort of personal affront so then one of the ringleaders of the group marched up to him stood up on the fountain which acted as somewhat of a dividing line between the restaurant and the rest of the plaza and began to scream and hurl profanities at him as well. And then other white people rushed over and were shouting at him. And in the video I took, you'll see there's, you know, black people who just kind of sitting there looking like, why are y'all doing this? This is not what we need to be doing. And uh, so basically what, what BLM thrives on, what that movement thrives on is the illusion of oppression. So anytime anyone actually stands up for themselves, and says, hey, can you, can you just go do your thing? I'm not going to tell you to stop doing it, but please do it somewhere else where you're not going to disturb the peace. They take that as some sort of wanton callousness, and then they react um, as they deem to be appropriate, which in this case was essentially setting the entire establishment down just because they felt like they weren't being heard loudly enough or they weren't being coddled by the people at the restaurant. So. It was just one of those things that escalated needlessly. And when I saw it developing, my first thought was, I need to show people what really is going on, what really is behind this movement. That's why in the video I mentioned it is cultural Marxism. Uh, because it, someone has to stand up and report the news because the me- news media cameras weren't out there. No one else was out there reporting that. And there was no media coverage in the days that followed from any of the main channels, if you will. So I took it upon myself to become a citizen journalist at that time, because for me, it's a paramount importance. People see BLM for what it is. It is manufactured outrage, manufactured chaos, and it's completely antithetical to what we all should strive for as Americans. So it's it's what's amazing to me is the point that you were making on the video and you've made here is uh, these were mainly white kids and they are lecturing you and others uh, on what you should be outraged by and what you should think. And I, 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 uh, I don't understand this movement that is bought and paid for by a bunch of very, very wealthy white people. Uh, George Soros being one of them, uh, wh- former uh, terrorists, I could say former because they haven't done anything lately, um, but uh, former white terrorists uh, and and uh, uh, gay rights activists. And I hate to even say gay rights activists because they're really not They're There are extremists that are trying to destroy the family. That's what's behind all of this. And how is it that so many people are being duped by it? Well, I think it is really is there's a lot there's a lot of young people out there, young adults, if you will, who desire to feel like they are a part of something special. That's the concept of virtue signaling. So a lot of those young white people who were out there creating chaos on an otherwise peaceful evening, for them, they were doing that because they wanted to feel as if they belonged to this organization. Uh, we know the organization has come out publicly and stated that they're against notions like the what they call the Western concept of a nuclear family. And we know, I know for a fact in the African-American community, one of the biggest problems we have is fatherlessness. So the crazy thing is the right. stated goal of Black Lives Matter contradict what any African-American, what any American really should be striving for. It has been hijacked by a lot of people who claim to stand for social justice but who evidently have no problem ruining an evening, creating a 
chaos in the face of young children using profanity. Uh, the movement has spun out of control at this point, and all they really are doing right now is being political opportunists, utilizing any perceived instance of, a, of tragedy, in this case, the George Floyd situation, and co-opting that in order to justify their violent, unruly actions. So I saw a poll yesterday, um, six in 10 um, Americans overall uh, believe that the founders were good and America is good. Uh, but when you go beyond the uh, when you start looking in youth and African-American youth, you're looking at the reverse. You're looking at uh, a, a maximum of four out of 10 think that America is good and the founders were good. How are we going to solve this? Honestly, it's incumbent upon, especially young people now, to do their own research and really understand history as it stands. Uh, Unfortunately, our public education system is largely controlled by the left. So the left disseminates what news or what information or what history anyone is privy to. But the thing is, especially for young people, we have no excuses at this point. We have so much access to information, but what separates Mm -hmm. some from others is who is willing to actually dig to find the information that the left honestly would rather young Americans not be privy to. And yes, we can acknowledge the sordid history of the past as it stands with race relations, but we also have to acknowledge the incredible accomplishments we've had even in the last 60 years. We've gone from Ruby Bridges being escorted by the National Guard into school to being removed already from the first half-black president, at least. So we can't sit here and act like the, the country is the most incorrigible, irredeemable country. when We have made demonstrable strides to improve. But the problem with the left, too, is that what they want to do is they want to continue to perpetuate this notion that there's some sort of disadvantage by default. Essentially, it's a handicap a racial handicap, and they weaponize the illusion of this handicap, and then they tell people what to think, and then people don't question it. So really what it is, what's most important for us to do is just to continue to do our own research and speak the truth, because there's a lot of misinformation or a lie by omission that's being perpetrated on the American people right now by the mainstream media and by the public education system. We have to combat both simultaneously. There is a civil war going on in America. We are under attack. We are at war. And uh, their stated goal is the destruction of America. And I truly believe that if a Martin Luther King stood up today, he might face the same kind of consequences that Martin Luther King did. But he would save America that that if if the uh, the the black leadership that doesn't really seem to exist right now, except in the Al Al Sharptons who aren't leading anybody in the black community. Um, But if there was a a group of, of men and women that stood up and had the principles of Martin Luther King, uh, they would save the nation. Do you think that there is that group that we're going to find? You know, I'm very encouraged by what I have seen even on social media. The response to the video that I took at that restaurant was overwhelming. There are a lot of other people that I've been blessed to meet, Um, people like uh, Brandon Tatum. In the black community. Yes, in the black community. People like Brandon Tatum, uh, David Harris Jr., Terrence Williams, Mm -hmm. Candace Owens. There are many Mm -hmm. people out there who have taken that mantle of leadership upon themselves 
and re- really try to lead by example. We need strong leadership. We need positive leadership in our communities because for too long now, be it Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson and many others, they've used fear and oppression, if you will, to control the ideals of an entire demographic. And I'm seeing more and more people who are African-American like myself who are willing to stand up, speak out, repudiate the lies when they surface. And tell people there's another way to go about this. There was so much positive change that happened as a result of Martin Luther King Jr.'s nonviolent stance. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I would argue that more good happened because of his nonviolent stance than anything that BLM or any of these other groups have ever tried to bring to pass. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, um, I thank you very much uh, for standing up and, and letting your voice be heard. And anything I can do to, to help you, anything this audience can do to help you, we, we uh, will be there for you. Um, we know that this is a, a time of, of heroes, people just standing up and just saying common sense things, unfortunately, is a heroic action. Yes, sir. I do. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Anyone who wants to support can go to my YouTube channel, which is called The Wright Brothers. Or they can find me on Twitter at Demani Felder, Parlor at Demani Felder, Facebook at Demani Bryant Felder, and Instagram at Demani Felder as well. But I appreciate the time, and uh, God bless you and everyone out there. The best of the Glenn Beck program. You uh, juxtapose the three easy steps, how to destroy America in, in three easy steps. You take those three easy steps and you juxtapose them with the solution um so can we go through some of it that'd be wonderful yeah i mean the 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 basic three easy easy steps to destroy the country it really is based on the notion that in order for you to have a country in order for you to have a functional nation you have to have a common what i call a unionist philosophy of unionist culture and unionist history what that means is shared philosophy culture and history and when it comes to uh, philosophy, that means the philosophy of the Declaration of Independence, this idea that there are such a thing as natural rights, and that those natural rights exist, pre-exist government, and are given to us by nature or nature is God. The idea that we all have those equal rights before the law, and the idea that government is instituted in order to protect those rights. That was the common philosophy of the United States. The common culture of the United States was a culture of entrepreneurialism and adventure, a spirit of adventure that we all should have been cultivating. Uh, it's, it's the idea that we have to have a tolerance for other people's rights. Even if we don't like how they exercise the rights, we understand that they do have rights. And we have to have a certain militance in defense of those rights. And we also have to have an understanding that our, our social institutions exist in order to cultivate virtue so that we can have a virtuous people with rights so that the rights aren't too often abused. And then finally, we have to have a shared history. I mean, we have to understand that the history of the United States has warts and flaws, and is insanely glorious. It's a wonderful, wonderful history. The, the history of the United States is about the foundations of the United States, the principles of the United States being more perfectly realized over time. Doesn't mean we haven't stumbled, doesn't mean we haven't fallen, doesn't mean there aren't horrible, evil sections of American history in which enormous human suffering takes place, but it does mean that the vision of the United States is one of a unified country under shared principle, and the history of the United States is the fulfillment of those principles. So that's the unionist side. The disintegrationist side, what I call disintegrationist, because I don't think this is quite purely right-left. I think there are a lot of folks who consider themselves liberal, who believe a lot of the things I just said, and maybe some people on the yes. right don't believe a few of the things that I just said. You know, because of that, I call yeah. it disintegrationist. The disintegrationists wish to sort of dissolve all of those bonds by suggesting that American philosophy is at root just 
evil, that it's just a, a pasteboard, it's sort of a, a mask for the true underlying power dynamics of the United States, that American culture should not be built around entrepreneurialism and a sense of virtue inculcated by social institutions, but through top-down government and cultural mandates decided by our cultural betters, that uh, a spirit of tolerance for other people's rights is actually a tolerance for evil, and that you shouldn't tolerate other people's rights, really everybody should just be virtuous in the way that you say they should be virtuous. Uh, and then when it comes to American history, obviously, you see with the 1619 Project and all of its sort of ideological uh-huh. forebears and offshoots, you see this attempt to destroy American history and treat it as though American history is the unalloyed study of an evil country rooted in an evil institution, rooted in racism and sexism and bigotry and homophobia, and that American history divides us rather than uniting us. And the goal there is to just level the entire system. If you can level the entire system, then it can build a new system in its wake, supposedly. So we are sitting here 56 days since George Floyd uh, was killed. 56 days. Look at the damage that has been done. And I don't mean to the cities. I mean to our history, to our language, to our... Tra- what was it? Sarah, play what, uh, what uh, Michelle Obama said uh, right before uh, Barack Obama was elected to office in 08. Listen to this. And Barack knows that we are going to have to make sacrifices. We are going to have to change our conversation. Uh, we're going to have to change our traditions, our history. We're going to have to move into a different place. We are in a different place, Ben, and it is breathtaking on how fast it has come. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the attempt to take down not just the statues of Confederates, obviously, which is controversial, but at least understandable, moving immediately into conversations about taking down statues of Ulysses S. Grant, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Christopher Columbus is an astonishingly fast move. The, the attempt to shift away from rational, normal conversations about how we extirpate racism in our society. I mean, true racism, the, the normal belief, we actually have to define the term now because people have been misusing the term. The term racism means you believe in the innate superiority or inferiority of somebody based on their race. This is the definition of racism. That definition has been manipulated and, and changed by the disintegrationists into something completely different. Now the argument made by people like Ibram Kendi and Robin D'Angelo in their best-selling books on anti-racism is that racism just means the system, that any system that has an unequal outcome by race means that the system itself is racist. So if you stand for the system, you're now perpetuating racism. So if the right to free speech ends with two racial groups in a different situation, well, that means the right to free speech is itself a racist system that must be torn down. Now, of course, the great lie there is that there is any system that levels human beings to the, to the type where everybody ends up in an equal situation after the system is applied. I mean, even under communism, some pigs are more equal than others. But the, but the mm-hmm. lie there is very seductive, and, and the lie is very powerful. And so it's now become, the argument has now become that in order to be an anti-racist, and you see this in all the anti-racist training, which is now being put forth by major corporations, being put forth by the media, being put forth in the halls of the governmental power. I mean, there are members of the federal government trained in this bullcrap. The, the basic idea is if you don't oppose the American system, you are not, in fact, anti-racist. And that means the destruction of the American system. When, when you know, folks on the political left, the hard political left, suggested that they're going to transform America, they didn't just mean that they were going to change some of the tax rates. They meant that they were going to fundamentally change how Americans thought about America. And they've been wildly successful in doing so. There was a Fox News poll that came out yesterday, and it showed that 31% of young Americans believe that the founders were villains. 31%, only 39% of young Americans under the age of 25 believe that the founders were heroes. So 61% didn't, couldn't actually just label the founders heroes. And it, there's also polarizations by race that have been exacerbated by the entire way that, that history is taught and the way that we've addressed America's problems in the past 
that same poll showed that a plurality of black Americans thought the founders were villains. I think it was 39 to 31 thought they were villains rather than heroes, which, again, you can understand the, the evils of American history when it comes to race. But if you haven't taught Americans the words of Frederick Douglass, if you haven't taught Americans the words of Booker T. Washington or the words of Martin Luther King, the story of America is the fulfillment of the promissory note. The story of America is the Declaration, not John C. Calhoun's view of the Declaration of Independence. Then you've done it wrong. And I think we've done it wrong. So, Ben, um, I've talked to so many people recently uh, that have have come to this place to where they just feel uh, I think they're in mourning almost. It's 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 if there is no chance of winning and turning the corner. How how big is this battle that we're in right now? Uh, and what are the odds and how do we turn it? I mean, it feels almost like the final ideological battle of the United States, because what we've really come down to is a belief that the United States is something worth fighting for and upholding, and a belief that the United States is merely a vestige of evil institutions that ought to be torn down. And we had some of this battle in the 1960s. And I will remind people who are feeling despondent that it felt like in the 1960s the battle was completely lost. And then, of course, the Reagan era came yeah. out and restored a lot of that feeling. Other countries have experienced something similar. Israel, for example, experienced a post-Zionist era in the aftermath of the Oslo Accords that spanned for about 15 to 20 years. And then it turns out that their enemies didn't go away. And now the entire Israeli population is center-right. So one of the, one of the you know, terrible facts about humanity is that America's enemies don't go away no matter how much navel-gazing we do. So you know, while it is true that the United States could theoretically really rip itself apart over a lot of these issues, Eventually, our enemies will show up at the gates. And when there's an enemy at the gates, it tends to it tends to unify Americans in a way that that ideological discussions do not. I mean, I think a lot of historians have pointed out quite correctly that a lot of the fragmentation in American politics took place in the immediate aftermath of the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And we and, and then we, we came back together a little bit around 9-11 when there was a feeling that there was a common enemy seeking to destroy American values. And now, because it doesn't feel like there's an existential threat to the United States, we're kind of turning in again, but I think it's pretty clear that there are some fairly large existential threats on the horizon. Now, the bad news is that if it takes an existential threat on the horizon to unite Americans around the greatest set of principles mm-hmm. ever devised by man, then we're doing something deeply wrong. Uh, I guess the, the reality yeah. is that you know, the history sort of pushes you back into a, a, a more patriotic situation, no matter how hard you wish to run away from it and declare yourself a world citizen. Yeah, and that's not really a, that's not really a, a victory for... Uh, America itself. I mean, because the the I mean, I've you know, when I first heard Donald Trump start talking about the deep state, it bothered me. I was like, "Ah, stop with the deep state stuff. But that is true. There are people deeply embedded in our government that I think hate our system and are trying to overthrow and trying to have their own way. If we don't get to the root of this problem, uh, which is education, uh, which is honestly people like George Soros uh, that are funding all of this. This is a show we're watching, Ben. This is a show and they're not going away. No, and, and I think this is one of the areas where Republicans really have missed the boat. Is that the left has been fighting a culture war. And again, I, I hesitate to make this a left right divide because I think that there are some old fashioned liberals who just disagree with me on tax yes. rates and, and the role of government but still agree with fundamental American rights as expressed in the Declaration of Independence. I think you saw some of them send that Harper's Weekly letter, rip, rip and cancel culture. But it, it is true that the assault 
on America's values that, that came predominantly from the left in the 1960s took place on a cultural level. And the cultural revolution always precedes the governmental revolution. So the, the cultural revolution that took place in the 1960s, the right never fought back on those grounds. They did a little bit with Reagan, but Reagan was a governmental figure. The fact is that we ceded the field of battle. I mean, you know this better than anyone, Glenn, is trying to get conservatives to understand that things like Hollywood entertainment is actually kind of important, that the, the content that your yeah. kids consume may be more important than the politicians you elect. Getting conservatives to understand that is, is very often very difficult because conservatives tend to think, OK, well, you know, these kids will grow up, they'll go into the business world and then they'll have to live a real life, they'll have to earn a buck and they'll realize the tax rates are too high and they'll kind of sh- they'll, they'll swivel toward sort of more conservative position. Well, what happens when all of those woke microaggression SJW types, well, what happens when all of them exit college, they go into the workforce and they don't get shaped by the workforce, they shape the workforce instead. And you're seeing that happen right now in corporations yeah. around America, where CEOs are now uh-huh. being told what to do by woke interns. I mean, it's insanity. You run a company. I run a company. This is it, what we're watching right now is nuts. If, if my employees came to me and dictated a certain brand of politics that I was supposed to embrace that I disagreed with, they'd be on the breadlines the next day. But corporations, because they're so afraid of being sued and they're so afraid of the bad press, have decided that it's much easier to simply give grease to the squeakiest wheel. So the right fought back politically when they should have fought back culturally. They, they fought back by electing Republicans. But electing Republicans, while the culture shifts to the left, is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name of the book is How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Uh, all just a, I mean, don't be a spoiler. All three steps uh, have been done and are being done right now. Uh, but he provides the solution to those things. And what I really like about this is it is a it's a way to unite us. This is not a left right book. It's not a political book, really. Uh, it's not about hey, Donald Trump can fix the world. This is about what brings us together. What is the uh, what is the thing that made us unum? Uh, out of E Pluribus, and uh, he's got it down in only the way Ben Shapiro can do it. I don't know if did you read the audio book? I did. Yep, it takes about twenty seven minutes. Okay, I was going to say he's the only guy that I know. I listen to your podcast, and Ben, you're the only guy I know that if I have it on one and a half times the speed, it's actually three times the speed. Uh, you're an incredibly uh, incredible fan. If you increase it to two times speed, you actually go back in time. It's like back to the future. You hit 88 miles per hour. All right, Ben Shapiro, thank you very much. I appreciate it. God bless and uh, keep your family safe. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. by the Ministry of Truth. This is your citizen brief. The following is sanctioned news imperative from the Ministry of Truth of the Woke Party. This is your citizen's brief. The troubling new thought crime known as Dream Racism. Two heroic Afro-Latinx members of the Woke Party have just diagnosed a precarious trend in racist America. A generational fatigue familiar to black persons and people of color. They had an idea. Black power naps. A sculptural installation, vibrational device, and 
territorial initiative that reclaims laziness and idleness as power. The full quote departing from the historical records that show that deliberate fragmentation of restorative sleep patterns were used to subjugate and extract labor from enslaved people. We now realize that this extraction has not stopped. It has only morphed. A state of constant fatigue is still used to break our will. This sleep gap shows that there are front lines in our bedrooms as well as in the streets. Deficit of sleep, lack of free time for, for some is the building block of a real world and a free world. After learning who benefits most from restful sleep and downtime, we are creating interactive surfaces for a playful approach to investigate and practice deliberate energetic repair. These woke scientists believe that reparations must come from the institution under many shapes, one of them being a redistribution of rest, relaxation, and downtimes. These heroic soldiers referred to the American dream as rightfully the American nightmare, filling them with exhaustion that they have inherited. As white supremacy continues to overtake the nation, it is more important than ever that citizens report all instances of dream racism so we at the woke party may crush and destroy the bigots. Repeat after me. A bigot with a job is a bigot in power. A bigot with a family is a bigot in control. A bigot with happiness is a bigot in paradise. We must never allow bigotry. Report all racist thought crimes to the woke party immediately to avoid being rightfully charged with white supremacy and being depersoned. We would also like to again praise the ever-victorious Jameel Hill, a journalist at The Atlantic, who regularly calls out white supremacists. Most recently, she reiterated her stance that all Trump supporters are racists. She tweeted, if you vote for Donald Trump, you're a racist. You have no wiggle room. How true. She performed this valiant act despite the fact that her own mother is a virulent coward and racist who voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Yes, as Unit 117486 has pointed out, all Trump supporters are racists. And it is right and good for all soldiers to point it out, especially when this deadly plague of racism has infected one's own, quote, family, end quote. To turn on a so-called family member is good, is just, is honorable especially those who fail to recognize that just because they are the birth unit, it does not give them rights over the birth product, or the decommissioned word, child. The family is racist. The patriarchal system is demeaning and dangerous. The state is your family. There are no parents, no children, only soldiers in the movement. Hate is love and war is peace. 
Jamil's insightful words have repeatedly inspired activists from the woke party to remain victorious in our revolution. But today, many of our revolutionaries are at risk. We must stop the federal government from needlessly snatching up innocent, quote, rioters all throughout America. In Jackson, New Hampshire, one of our BLM operatives, Chris DeVries, was persecuted for his identity when fascists from the neo-Nazi corporation known as the American government raided his home and illegally stole his child pornography. Despite the fact that Mr. DeVries identifies himself as a child enthusiast, a category for we at the woke party fully support and certainly do not consider illegal. Our brothers in Antifa have faced similar persecution in their completely orthodox gender identities, bravely facing the hate speech invective such as pedophile or child molester, all decommissioned words. I would like to warn citizens about the next citizen brief item. It contains crime expressions that lionize patriotism and encourage white supremacy. Always remember that nationalism or national pride in America is literal hate and a war crime in accordance with the Woke Party's Book of Cancelable Offenses. A man in Portland continued his hate speech when he held an American flag outside of a federal courthouse telling activists of the Woke Party, none of you guys represent black lives, noting... I felt compelled to show my patriotism and try to bring a different message to the courthouse. To make matters worse, the man is a veteran or one of the Marines. Here is his confession. Thankfully, soldiers from the woke party have already begun their assault against the man in their ongoing campaign to annihilate the enemy. Salute those brave soldiers, most of whom are white and young, for attacking a black man, a depraved man who has fallen victim to white supremacy, all in the name of racism. But the forces of our foes will not stop their racism easily, just as hundreds of thousands of bourgeoisie capitalists had to be killed to free Sweden as now seen in updated history books, the glory of the Venezuelan Revolution, the cultural truths of the Mao Revolution that led to millions dead, will be our story, where death is life, fear is comfort, and truth can never be known except by us.